And so I had, unfortunately, after being kicked out of care and I had to go back to that world I no longer felt I belonged in, um, I had a complete nervous breakdown, um, felt that my life wasn't worth anything. Um, and that resulted in me having a conversation with my foster father um, who sat me down. We were both very tearful. I'll never, I'll never forget this conversation. Um, and he just sort of said to me, look, you don't see what I see in you. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Today, I have the, the pleasure of Lucy Barnes on the show. Uh, good afternoon to you, Lucy. Afternoon. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Good to have you on, Lucy. You are a senior paralegal for, for barristers. You also focus on advocacy for young people in care. And you'll also be starting your pupillage to become a barrister later on this year. Uh, you are a professional public speaker. You're a TEDx speaker. And you're also a volunteer for the Norfolk Community Law Centre. And today, we're going to be exploring... Uh, your life lessons of resilience from being in care, uh, overcoming the stigma and victimhood, and along with the mindset strategies that supported you. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, Lucy, uh, what do you love about what you do? So I love being able to help others for sure, and particularly in the um, advocacy work I do for care experience people, young people or care leavers. It's particularly amazing to be able to transform um, what used to be pain into helping others and it's it's been the most um, therapeutic but also meaningful work so um, I absolutely love it. You mentioned pain there and obviously we're going to be talking a bit about your personal story uh, and so it'd be good to, to just get a context of I suppose your story of being in care your experience and how that has shaped you today to do what you're very much doing right now. Absolutely. Uh, so I grew up in what I would describe as a dysfunctional family uh, environment, uh, domestic abuse, neglect. Um, I grew up on a council estate, so uh, very few opportunities, unfortunately, a very deprived area, rural area. And it was very, very difficult for everyone, very trying times growing up in poverty. Um, and the family unit as a whole broke down um, and there were frictions in my biological family home, which led to uh, me being kicked out by my biological mother at 13, where the local authority stepped in. And that was when I was put into foster care. Wow. That, that sounds not a great start to a 13-year-old's life, uh, being kicked out by your biological mum. Uh, take us from that point, because obviously, you know, I'm a, I'm a foster carer myself, and so I'm on the, the other side. Um, how did you well, think and feel at that point of being kicked out at the age of 13? What, what, what was going on in your head at, the, at that time? It was definitely a mixture because I felt like this might have been an obviously a very difficult time for me not being able to fit in and not working with my biological family. But I felt because of the chaos in that environment, I felt that maybe this would be an opportunity for me to try and work on myself and heal some of those elements. Um, and, and just in general, giving a new sort of outlook on life. Um, but I definitely found it difficult integrating into a new family as supportive as they were. It, it was, it was definitely tough. You've got to learn different family codes, different family meals. Um, there were class differences. Um, there was so much that I had to, to learn in such a short period of time. And above that, I think 
learning to love others and be accepted as I am was actually quite terrifying for me that those were alien concepts for me. I'd, I'd never felt like I'd been loved for exactly who I was. Um, so it was kind of uh, alienating and it was really hard. So I um, did push those feelings away. I did. My foster parents were amazing at helping see what was in, in me academically. Before I went into foster care, I was pretty much failing. I wasn't doing too well in school, obviously, given the chaos of my life. But when I went into care with them, I ended up getting uh, 14 GCSEs. And I think that was the loving environment they created and gave me that sort of self-belief that that I needed. Um, But unfortunately, I still struggled in interpersonal relationships. I couldn't work out this foreign concept of love. It was really difficult. And I couldn't work out how to be stable in a family environment because I'd only learned chaos. So I started to create that, um, which led, unfortunately, to me being kicked out at 16 um, and that I had to go back to my biological family, which was really, really difficult. And talk about obviously you're going into a, a new home, a new family. Talk about you know, different codes, uh, different meals, and and everything else. And you know, people might not be in the situation themselves right now, but people do move into different scenarios in business, don't they? In organisations, you join different teams, and they join sometimes hostile, sometimes friendly scenarios, or vice versa. Um, how did you navigate that sort of that challenges? How did you sort of try to integrate that into your life, or or you di- or didn't you? <laughs> I definitely struggled at that age. Um, I tried to take make the most of what I had, um, which was the first opportunity I had to focus on my academic life. I did have one stepdad growing up who who was quite into into books, and that really helped. Um, and he kind of instilled in me a love of learning, but unfortunately that broke down and, and and he left. So um, I didn't get to nurture that. And I'd always hated studying in a way because I thought, well, what's the point? Like um, there's, there's bigger things in life. Like to think that at 13 year old, um, you know, I just thought there's more important things like, you know, the chaos in a family or um, I just had bigger things to navigate. So I found it really difficult, but this was an opportunity for me to see their way of life, which was bettering yourself through education um and employment and that really helped me um to navigate it but there were elements that I couldn't navigate which was uh having stability and uh, not bringing drama into the world in which they live because that was the only model I had that was my blueprint unfortunately of how to act in relationships that had formed my brain for 13 years so it was really difficult to, for me um but I didn't learn better mindset strategies I'd say until after um leaving care and building that independence myself and you know I'm a foster carer myself and so that having some child to be it comes to me and obviously I see what I see and, and they might have seen some things come out from you that this sort of chaoticness um but what was going on in your head? How, how do you reconcile that, you know, your birth family and your, you know, sort of foster family and, and the challenges and then they're trying to look after you and to love you and uh, do the best for you. How did, how did you reconcile that and how did that work out? And, and what was the things that were going on inside? Just be interested to understand from your perspective, really. Yeah, I think my internal world very much mimicked my external world of chaos. It was just one minute I was like, this is amazing. People see me as I am and I don't have to worry about 
am I going to eat a nutritious meal today? Or, you know, am I actually going to eat? Um, am I going to have enough clothes? Am I going to be laughed at because I don't have the, the same clothes everyone else has? Am I, you know, having to cut my own hair because I can't afford a hairdresser? Like those things I no longer had to worry about. Um, and, and that gave me some degree of um, security. But there were also things I did have to worry about. Ultimately, that wasn't my family. Ultimately, my biological family wasn't my family anymore either. Um, and then at 16, I didn't hear from a social worker again. So I no longer had any form of corporate parenting. So it was really difficult. I felt at that time like I was nobody's child. And that was a really difficult position to be in um, and navigating that because it did just feel a bit like my world was upside down. That's how I'd um, explain it. I seemed to have not have the things that everyone else had. And it was really difficult to not resent that and to start comparing myself to others. And that was a battle that I had to, to overcome. And, and when I did, great things happened. But for a long period of my time um, in my life, I felt, well, why, why have others ex- had this great stable life and I haven't? What, what is wrong with me? That's the, that's the thing it always came back to. Am I not good enough? Is there something wrong with me as a person? And I now see that's not the case at all. But um, definitely in my teenage years, that's what I was battling with quite a lot. And you said at 16, did your, say your foster parent, you say they, they kicked you out. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? And because uh, of the chaos. And when you look back at that, do you think there was, there was good reason for what happened there? Or do you feel it's quite, I don't know, challenged that it wasn't the case really? No, I definitely, I think that was the only thing they could have done. Um, they didn't have any training in trauma. So they had absolutely no idea why my adverse childhood experiences were rearing in the way they were. Um, they, I think with amazing intentions, they were both really great individuals, really loving people. I think they, they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. Um, they saw the little light in me, which has been beautiful because that has helped with my self-belief, but they didn't see everything else that ultimately was still a part of me and my world that I hadn't processed yet. And because I didn't get, and they didn't get either the proper therapeutic support or much financial support, um, because they were in a, it was a private foster care arrangement. So they didn't get any financial help for me. Um, it was, it was a really, really complex time. And and I honestly don't think they could have done any different. Um, and it, although at the same time, difficult for me because it's another person that's kicked me out so for my mindset it was very much like I bring this on myself um people kick me out therefore something is wrong with me so it did have a negative impact on me but at the same time I don't think they could have done anything else and what was the moment that started to sort of shift in your life that was was there a a light bulb moment was there a conversation or was this thing just happened to sort of change over time post 16 that got to a place where you thought i've got to do something about this i've got to do some change the narrative i guess just a short interruption to the episode to let you know that this podcast is brought to you in association with lodge court who are experts in hr support are you worrying about employee performance absences and leave are you struggling with attracting retaining the best talent for your business i personally know the people at lodge court they can support you with every people issue you may face. So focus on what you do best and let LodgeCorp deliver your HR support as an extension of your business with a tailored, flexible monthly retained package that is right for you and your people. And they are offering an exclusive offer for the listeners of this podcast, where you'll get the first month's free in an annual retained contract. 
to get this offer, quote, helping organizations thrive. Now back to the episode. Definitely a light bulb moment. Um, so I had, unfortunately, after being kicked out of care and I had to go back to that world I no longer felt I belonged in, um, I had a complete nervous breakdown, um, felt that my life wasn't worth anything. Um, and that resulted in me having a conversation with my foster father um, who sat me down. We were both very tearful. I'll never, I'll never forget this conversation. Um, and he just sort of said to me, look, you don't see what I see in you. You really don't, but I want to help you see it because when you do, you know, you will be unstoppable. And then he talked through all these different career paths with me. Uh, some of them didn't really hit because I was like, yeah, uh, maths, <laughs> like a bunch of stuff that just wasn't suitable for me at all. Um, but he got to, and he said, like, do you know what? I think you'd be a great lawyer. And it really struck me because I didn't really know what a lawyer was. So I was a little bit confused, but he was amazing at guiding me through what a lawyer was. And he told me the different roles, um, solicitor, barrister, what I'd have to do at university. I never even really considered university as a really like as, as something that I would actually do. It had been flirted with, but I didn't actually think I could do it. Um, and he just had such conviction in his voice. It was, it wasn't to him the way he said to me, you know. I, I can see you as a barrister. That was the first person who said that to me. It was a real movie moment because he said, um, you know, I could see you as a solicitor. And then I said, oh, okay. Um, obviously not really absorbing it all that well. And he said, no, I think you could do one better. I think you could be a barrister. <laughs> and that was like, that was it. That was when the light bulb went off really because he believed in me. And that night I went um, back to my biological mother's house and I started typing up everything. I just researched the profession, everything I needed to know, everything I could get my hands on, what steps do I have to do? And I started looking at part-time jobs because I knew I couldn't afford university without a part-time job. I was very fortunate to have got a part-time job at Waitrose. So I started saving. Um, I looked into work experience schemes. Um, I was you know, lucky to have benefited from one of those. I applied for one at, um, at a really amazing chambers that offers work experience for disadvantaged young people. So I had that at 17. And then I met an amazing person at um, when I was working at Waitrose who gave me her business card. And she just so happened to be working for one of the biggest firms in, in London. Um, and she wanted me to come for an internship. So it's just this you know, once I decided to um, start working on myself, these opportunities seemed to just keep coming up. And that was it for me. And I started realizing maybe I could be so much more than what I'd been told I would be. Hmm. And what, what do you think your foster dad saw in you? And, and when was it that you believed that for yourself as well? That's a really great question. I think he saw in me that I was a good person and I was bright and I didn't know what to do with those things because I hadn't been given the right environment to really flourish um, or to show the world what I've got. Um, and I think he really saw, you know, the little spark in me that tried to make everyone laugh when people were sad. Um you know, there's a phrase my nana always used to tell me, I said as a child, I would say cuddles are important. And I'd say that, you know, if people were upset, there's just these little things that that made me me as a child. I was trying to make it, things better for others. But I think what clouded me was the tools I had. The tools I had were tools of chaos, tools of drama, tools of deep embodied sense of victimhood. And that 
I couldn't get past that because that was programming and it took a long time for me to realize and to detach from that fully. But when I got into university, which was one of the, the best moments of my life because I really did have to try harder than everyone else at A-level. So I had undiagnosed learning difficulty that wasn't diagnosed until I got to university. I remember and a part-time job to save for university and I literally remember getting in from my job and just study, study, study till three in the morning, then getting up in the morning, going to my part-time job. Like I was just so determined to get to that point. So when I did get into uni, it was just the proudest moment. And that was a turning point for me because it was a uni saying as well, an institution saying, you are good enough for this. And I started to think, actually, maybe my foster dad's right. Maybe that random lady at Waitrose who gave me her business card is right. (laughs) Maybe the university is right. And there's something here. Um, So although it took me a lot longer to kind of change my mindset on some of the things that that wounded me, and it took me a lot longer to heal, it it was the start of self-belief for me, which which changed my, my future. It would seem that, you know, obviously before university, you were working hard on your A-levels, you were doing a part-time job, that there was something sparked already, wasn't there? There was some sort of determination, even before you got the the validation, not that you need validation in life, but from the university say, we want you, you, you that belief probably started earlier on, didn't it, in some ways? Because you, you wouldn't have done all that hard work, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's another thing that my foster dad probably saw. Like I was very, very determined um, and always had been since very, very young. Like I always had a really sharp intuition that things weren't right. And I couldn't quite figure it out then. I didn't have the tools, but I couldn't figure out what about it wasn't right and what I didn't like about it. But the way that people in the family acted, I just felt like an alien. I felt so different. I felt my moral compass was just completely different. I never felt like I fit in. Um, and I didn't belong in that world. And I, and likewise, I tried to belong in with my foster family, but there was something that didn't work there and I still didn't feel I belonged there. But I definitely still had that that spark of determination, probably from my intuition telling me that I could be more. I just don't know how. So when I found the how, that's when my world opened up. Fantastic. Well, that's brilliant. It's a great story to hear. Um, and I suppose when you have... You talked about this sort of narrative of chaos and drama, and that was almost inbred in you in through your through your biological sort of family, and it's taken a while to shake up. What were the sort of processes of of you? You talked about being healing, healing that, and sorting that, and dealing with that. And because uh, I, I gather now you don't have those narratives going on uh, within your sort of mindset now. No, so that there's still. I think programming takes a while to dissolve. So they're the first thoughts that come into my mind, but I have the self-awareness to see them for what they are. Whereas Mm -hmm. before I took them as very much facts. And that's been the kind of uh, the massive difference. I don't think to to a, a large extent you can't choose what pops in your brain. Like we're not we're not the authors of our thoughts, so they just sort of attack us. <laughs> um, but we can choose what we focus on. And you know, if a thought comes into my head now that's particularly negative or um, you know a, a victim related thought, I can now see it for what it is, and I'm like, okay, that's my past coming back at me. You know, I don't need to focus on that because I've got these better tools now and these better people with better um views on me i don't have that same negative propaganda that i had from my childhood i have the voice of my therapist which has been an incredible tool for me the past um four or five years i've 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 sought therapy and that's been honestly the best investment i've ever made um 
And I have different tools now to be better. So I am better. And I suppose you, you talked also about the whole victimhood and that sort of feeling like a victim because you, you know, you, you discarded sort of kicked out by your family and similar thing happened to your foster family and you can spiral, can't you? And, and it's elements of thinking as well and mindsets and then what thoughts you capture again, how did you work, sort of work that up and sort of get to a place where not only were you capturing and that self-aware of your thoughts, but you were proactively creating a narrative that you wanted to live and believe in? It's a great question. So I think my friends were pivotal for me in 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 realizing what love could look like and what these um and, and what life away from what I call in my TEDx talk victim consciousness, which is the the view that life happens to you, that you're not an active participant in it. Um they taught me that actually it could be a different way, but it wasn't until I started reading. So I, beforehand, I only really read because I had to, <laughs> because I had to um, pass my A-levels because I wanted to do well in law. But actually, I started reading um, to be better for my friends. I started reading books on um, psychology. So not just self-help, but um, learning about the brain, what 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 happens to the brain when it's been deeply traumatized? How can we move forward past that? What can we do with what we've got? And, and I'm a massive, massive reader now, and it's been a massive obsession for me. Um, and one of the first books I read and the one I ended up doing a TEDx talk on was um, called How to Break Free from um, the Drama Triangle and Victim Consciousness. And I don't know what it was because it's not a best-selling book or anything like that, or at least it wasn't when I bought it, but it just spoke to me. Like, I just thought drama, that is so relevant. I keep bringing drama into my life in one way or another. And I don't want that. Like, I don't want that life for myself. I want to be a barrister. I want to be a good person. I want a healthy relationship in the future. And I want to be different for whatever future children I may have. So when I read that book, it just changed my whole perspective. It made me realize that, you know, I'm not alone um, in feeling that way and interpreting the world through that, that lens. But I realized how unhealthy it was, despite how common it was. And I realized that I needed to to make a difference um, and I needed to to change the way I thought and that I wasn't a victim to the world. I had certain things that had happened to me that shouldn't have happened and um, I was a victim in that sense. But being a victim, i.e. a factual victim, is very different from victim consciousness, which is when you interpret the entire world into a narrative that it's happening to you, like you are not an agent. And I think for me, agency has been the most important thing in creating the life I want to live. And now so proud to say that I do live. That's fantastic. That's great to hear. And for those people who might be listening, who are perhaps feeling that victim consciousness, whether that's in a relationship, in a family, in a workplace, how, how can they sort of, change that mindset, change that narrative, change that thinking. Uh, what, what helped you? What was things within that uh, book that, that gave that revelation for you? Well, first of all, reading the book, I mean, it literally only takes about two days to read because it's got really helpful uh, checklists as well. Do you feel, you know, when everything happens, why me or what? This is unfair. It's really interactive as a book, actually. I think that's probably one of the reasons why it did strike to me um, at my core. But it also, um, there's another book that follows on from it called um, The Power of Ted, which is the empowerment dynamic, which is the opposite of the drama triangle. So the three roles in the drama triangle are rescuer, um, 
persecutor and victim. And then in the empowerment dynamic, um, it is coach, creator and challenger. So it's that is that shift. And that's an excellent book in learning how to change those those roles. But now instead of for each of them, if I you know, feel like the voice of a persecutor. So, you know, you statements, you have done this, you have hurt me. Instantly, my brain thinks, actually, can I make this an I statement? How can I communicate what's going on in my internal world without blaming someone else? Because blame is really the voice of the victim. Um, and it's about taking accountability for your own, and but not not listening to your feelings. That's is so important. And that's another important thing about therapy. Feelings are there as signals. And we shouldn't ignore them, but we don't have to blame others for them. And it doesn't just have to be individuals. A lot of people I see blame the state or um, various other outside forces. You know, if you have victim consciousness, you very much don't believe that you're an agent and you believe that whatever mystical forces are operating are doing so to harm you rather than you being an active creator or a self-leader in your own life. And I think that that change is really important when you see yourself as able to create your life and to see the course in which it goes. And that doesn't mean that systems, uh, people or whatever don't harm you. They do, but you can you don't see yourself as going to be helpless because of them. You're still an agent for change. I guess this is all about <clears throat> increasing your self-awareness, isn't it? Understanding how your thought sort of life works, how your feelings work, how that interacts and what you can do about it as well, which is obviously the agent side. As your, I guess, self-awareness increased over that number of years by you being sort of quite methodical in this approach. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in addition to that, I always talk about therapy that is so much more. And I don't think it's for people who need therapy. I think it's, and people sometimes think it's for the weak. I'd I'd argue the opposite. I think it's for the strong. I think that it's an incredible business tool. Uh, You've mentioned before about like making a narrative, a more healthy narrative of your life. That's what therapy can do for you. Um, and it can help with that sort of internal persecutor that says you're not good enough or, um, you know, we've all been there. Um, you, you, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, you get into these spirals of what ifs and therapy helps you healthily structure your life into a narrative that that works and makes sense and that you can work towards. And you can ultimately also alleviate shame. Um, I think shame is one of the biggest problems that we we suffer from uh, shame distinct from guilt guilt says um our behavior could be better how do we work on it shame says i am bad and that is very very negative in in our lives because we're not the sum of our worst mistakes and we need to take accountability for our behavior but at the same time we need to be compassionate towards ourselves and that's really what therapy can teach you and it has been the best business tool, the best tool for me moving on. Um, the reason I'm now happily in a stable family um, and and I'm a great mother to my son or, um, you know, being the best mother I possibly can, knowing that he won't have to experience anything that I did. Um, and I attribute a lot of that, obviously, to my own drive, but also from therapy. Yeah, I agree with you there in terms of therapy. I think a lot of people would really benefit from it and not that and obviously I, I coach not that coaching is therapy it's very different but there's elements of similarity of having somebody who's an advocate for you having somebody who to challenge you a little bit uh certainly i have lots of clients who come up with some 
very interesting narratives they seem to make up in their heads, uh, which are just not true. <laughs> so, um, uh, and we'll, we all we all do that. Um, for those listening that you know perhaps have been in care and they may be in their twenties, thirties, who how old, and perhaps still struggle with some of this victimhood and still struggle with some of these challenges. Uh, what advice would you give to them to help them? deal with that overcome that um, and that's quite a, a, a small question with a bit, very big answer I, I appreciate that no that's an excellent question um didn't expect any different from you so um i definitely think it's an antidote to victim consciousness to see yourself as what you are and with that the strengths you have and what you have to bring to the table because there will be so much. And I think there is so much hope within it. And when I go to schools and I speak to care experienced young people and sometimes the teachers don't see what I see, but there is a spark. There is something in each and every single one of them that just is waiting to be harnessed. They're like little lights and someone just needs to tell them and show them and guide them the way. And when they see what they really are and they, they, they see their potential, I think it's quite hard at that point to still believe that the world is against you because you can work against that. You can decide, you know, who who are you? You know, that's the pivotal question. And who do you want to be? And I think a large part of it for me in, in kind of helping with um, victim consciousness, but also my suffering and healing from the things that shouldn't have happened to me. And to be honest, for care leavers, you know, none of it was your fault and it should not have happened to you. And that's the pivotal thing to realize, but you can create a life that goes beyond it and find meaning in your life. And now the work that I do is incredible because it's so full of meaning and I've been able to create that myself because I don't believe that I'm a victim. And at the same time, I can acknowledge that none of the things that happened to me as a child should have happened to me. And that wasn't my fault. So it's that dual mindset of Mm. seeing what you are and seeing it wasn't your fault but not letting it define you because then those who did hurt you, they win. <laughs> and you don't and you don't want that. The best form of moving on is creating a life for yourself mm. that doesn't bear any recognition to the one that you you suffered in. That's so so helpful. That's so helpful for people to hear. And you know, you've despite your challenges, uh, you've made something and created something because you are an agent of your own destiny and it's people realizing that and the fact that now you're doing something meaningful and do you think that whole perpetuates your healing and who you are even more so the fact that you're now working with um care leavers uh, as well and do a lot of work in that area absolutely yeah i mean i think for a long time because of the stigma sadly of being care experienced i didn't actually talk about that crucial aspect of my identity and it wasn't and, and even you know on legal applications it took a really long time i've even been advised by um members of the profession who obviously were well intentioned being aware of the stigma to not talk about it but i always felt like that wasn't me and i felt something wasn't right with that um, and it wasn't until I did start talking about it that doors started opening. I was very open about it um, and the change I wanted to make on my scholarship interview um, and my scholarship application with Middle Temple to, to fund my course to be a barrister because for anyone who doesn't know, it's about 14 grand plus, which as a care leaver, I definitely did not have. Um, so, you know, it was either scholarship or I don't have access to this profession. That was the choice. Um, and I was very 
bold about it. And I used it as an empowerment strategy to show them the resilience that I built up and what an asset I could be to this profession. And it was when I started taking charge of who I was um, in an empowering way, that was when the doors started opening for me. Um, and that's where I, I grew the most. And now being able to um, be public about it and be open about it, I've started seeing others happy to talk about it. And I've started having people approach me. How do I talk about it in the best way on, on an application? How can I demonstrate my resilience? And it's just been incredible because I do think that, you know, as Brene Brown says about vulnerability, there's a real power in it because it, it says to others, it's okay. You're safe to be who you are. And that's ultimately been so meaningful for me um, in growing as an individual and just being my full self. And now at 27, doing the work I do, I've never felt more myself in my entire life. That's fantastic. That's that's really inspiring, Lucy. And and I appreciate you coming on the show and taking some time out. Uh, your story is inspirational, and I hope others will be inspired by your your how you overcome challenges and what you've done to create your own life. And and this is not just for people who care leavers, for anybody who feels they they're not like a, an agent in their own life. You can be an agent of your own life. And uh, yeah, just really thank you for coming on today. No, oh, thank you for having me. It's been a massive pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you like this episode, then please rate, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, I coach high-performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions, and it will help you go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation. You can contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com. Hold up. 